Welcome to the Fast Lane. Nick Miles is our auto expert. So drop it into gear. You've got a green flag. Here's Nick. Locally created, nationally celebrated, our auto expert uh, packed show for you. We've put together for this week, including in today's show, we're going to find out about the uh, Northwest uh, vehicles from the Northwest Automotive Press Association. They had their Run to the Sun event. We're going to be talking about that. All the way to Sweden, we'll catch up on the first and very smallest Lexus not designed for the United States but actually designed for Europe. I got to spend some time in Sweden and we'll get Carrie Kim on the phone from Autobytel to talk about that brand new vehicle. It's kind of interesting. Uh, a lot to fill in. The Flintstone car may become a reality. We have that on the show. Plus, of course, probably the biggest news uh, out this week is the fact that Tesla uh, there's lots of shenanigans going on with Elon Musk. I'm sure we'll be talking about that throughout the whole show. We'll also talk about the car that goes up against the Porsche Panamera uh, S, the Turbo S. That is the brand new Mercedes AMG GT four-door coupe. Baron Smith joining us from AMG. And of course, uh, what in the United States are the best, uh, some of the best vehicles for insurance shoppers? We'll find out all of that stuff coming up on today's show. And for the whole show, uh, along with Jen, our producer who holds the show together, you have duct tape in your bag, don't you? I have everything. All right. You're yeah, ready to go with the duct ready. tape in case today's show falls apart. <laughs> uh, uh, John Vincent is with us. He is the, currently the president of the Northwest Automotive Press Association. And uh, you, you, you're a U.S. News and World Reports um, guy that duct tapes everything together there. <laughs> I try. I'm a consumer <laughs> advice writer at U.S. News and World Report. Yeah, and uh, you, I mean, basically, you know everything about everything. Well, I have to. Because <laughs> we're going to ask you questions about everything today. Don't oh, think that's, that I don't know anything. <laughs> don't think that's not going to come up on today's show. Uh, and uh, we'll, you know, we'll just keep you abreast of what's going on in uh, all the automotive news. It's America's Car Radio Show, our auto expert. I'm Nick Miles. Uh, today's show, um, Jen... Uh, you said to me that you want to know what I've been up to the last yeah. week because you don't know. No. You have access to my calendar. I do, but it's not, I don't know where. Guess what been. I did for the whole week. Stayed at home, I actually. Did. <laughs> I spent, That's why I want to know what I, you've been doing. <laughs> I, I was like, I have to spend a week at home. Like I, I am traveling so much that I'm tired. I'm just tired. So I took a week off and spent it at home. I did work like 6 a.m. till like 8 p.m. every night, but I stayed at home. I know. That's why I want to know what you've been doing my, besides sleeping. Yeah, it, it was. it's kind of an interesting week. So our youngest uh, dog usually gets to go to daycare, Arwen. Aww. She'll be two on uh, November 14th. And uh, her and Sam basically had, Sam is my chocolate lab, he's about three. They had their heads in my lap all day. <laughs> And so um, I've just learned that they don't get very happy when I have to shut them out of the office. But doing voiceover uh, for radio and TV, it's not good to have shaking collars in the background, which is <laughs> happening all the time, or groaning or growling or things. My problem is there's the noise that the dogs make. Yes, yeah. the dogs on top of that were uncontrollable. My cats are just too smart. They like to type on my computer. So sometimes our scripts have a little issue. Oh, you know, there's a few. I just thought you were dyslexic, but apparently it's the no, cat. No, it's the cat. <laughs> there we go. Uh, this week, actually, I've been uh, I've been experimenting with a few different vehicles. Uh, I've been looking at. Um, it's getting very blurry, and John, you'll probably agree with this. That it used to be that there was 
vehicles in certain sizes and certain demographics. So you'd have an SUV and you'd have a compact and a subcompact and a midsize and a full size. But now the lines are like weird, like vehicles cross into two or three different segments. They do, and automakers are putting vehicles in between the segments, the traditional segments. You have cars out there that are being sold as SUVs that don't even have all-wheel drive. It's confusing to the it, customer. Yeah, and they're basically just cars that have been raised, like just, just passenger cars, sedans that have been raised, or, or wagons that have been raised, and now we're calling them CUVs. They're station wagons because... Uh, you know, station wagons don't sell in the United States, but call it an SUV and it will. It, exactly. Uh, I I think the experiences that I've had are strange because I like to class, I like everything as far as cars are concerned in nice boxes. And it's really hard to get stuff in nice boxes. Like, I like to know this is the size of car and this is what it competes against. But you look at certain vehicles and you go, well, it could compete against the Audi Q1 or Q3. Like, well... Which one is it? Well, it's sort of, it's right in between the two. And they're making it more confusing. It's like an LA Auto Show coming up at the, the, in November. Honda are introducing a vehicle between the HRV and the CRV. They have one in between them, which is confusing because they, they're, one's one size and one's the next size up. So how are you going to get one in between them? It's going to be tough. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the rumors actually are that it's going to be between the CRV and the pilot. Yeah, it could be. Uh, but uh, who knows? Who knows? Uh, it, it's maybe and, both. And then it gets even. It gets very hard. So it would be a three-row CUV, CRV. That's what you think yes. it's going to be. I know. Uh, I think it. I think I know the name of it, but I'm not sure. I'll do a bit of research. Yeah, uh, it's an old is, Honda uh, name. Yes, the name is uh, kind of a fairly well-known secret. Patrol. I think it's no. That's a Nissan, isn't it? A Patrol. No, it's going to be the... Um, it's something like that. Passport. Passport, that's it. It's the passport. Yeah. So, so you think it's going to be between the CRV and the... And the, and the, um, and the pilot. Pilot. Could be. Uh, they've got several new cars coming out. I don't understand how car companies like Maserati are going to have six SUVs. That's a tough one to figure out. Yeah, what are they going to do? Have a tank all the way down to a two-wheeler? Smaller tank. <laughs> that... There is a lot of new cars coming over the next year from car companies. Um, the last event that I was on, which was a couple of weeks ago, was Mercedes-Benz AMG. Uh, and it's hard to remember. It's, it's Mercedes, not Benz. It's Mercedes AMG GT four-door coupe. Um, are you noticing car names getting longer and longer? They are. Yeah. I think they're, they're going to have to start making pickup trucks wider so they can put the whole name <laughs> of the truck on the back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it, to me, it's super confusing when you have uh, super long names because when you have to repeat it back to somebody, if you don't get it right, someone from the PR department goes, no, 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 it's not Mercedes-Benz, it's Mercedes-AMG. Oh, oh, this is so different. Uh, so that was the last event I went on um, and I drove that. But this week I've been spending my whole time at home driving the Nissan Rogue Sport and, and the uh, RAV4 and matching those, which sort of aren't in the same class but they almost are in the same class 
Uh, and we'll, well, I'll talk more about that later on. Uh, coming up next, Carrie Kim is going to be on the phone from Auto by Tell. She is going to talk to us about the trip that we both made to Sweden to check out the new Lexus UX, the smallest and most inexpensive Lexus that they have ever made. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. I'm Nick Miles. Keep listening. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is coming up. Your engines and you're off. Back to our auto expert with Nick Miles. John Vincent in for the entire show in the studio along with uh, producer Jen. We're talking about cars. So a brand new vehicle from Lexus. And uh, I was surprised to find out that this uh, new Lexus is not made for the United States, which obviously Lexus is a very American-centric brand. Uh, They started it for the American market. It's a member of the Toyota family. And this is the first time that they've created a vehicle that wasn't specifically aimed at the American market and I spent uh, about three days, three or four days in Sweden test driving it along with the delightful Carrie Kim from uh, Auto by Tell and Carrie joins us on the phone. Uh, Carrie, have you recovered from our expeditions in Sweden? Yes, yes. I I wish I could go back. (laughs) It it was a lot of fun. Uh, What were you most surprised at in Sweden? Um, in Sweden or about the car? No, in Sweden. Because <laughs> I was surprised that in Sweden, the aggressiveness of the drivers. They, uh, pedestrians seem to be, um, I don't know, I wouldn't say targets there, but if you were crossing the road, you needed to watch out because they did not stop for pedestrians. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, it, actually, driving in the city was kind of stressful. I was looking for a record store one afternoon and driving into town, and it kind of felt like human frogger. It was like <laughs> people just walking right out into the street, you know? You couldn't have explained it better. And the other thing that I thought was kind of weird is the fact that uh, there, every other car was a wagon. Oh, yes. So uh, many wagons. Auto journalists dream, probably. Uh, we went there to drive the uh, the Lexus UX. So the smallest Lexus that they have uh, ever made and the most inexpensive. Uh, what? Uh, give me your first impressions of the car because you got to spend a day driving it around. How did you feel? You know, it, the funny thing about that car was it was um, kind of a slow burn. It, I, I The more, the later... It was that I drove it, the more I seemed to like it. At first, I was a little bit skeptical because it's it's a really small car. Um, But the more I drove it and the more I was inside, I really, really started to like it more. And then when I started driving other cars after I had left Sweden, actually, I kept kind of benchmarking against the UX a little bit. And um, I was surprised. I was like, wow, I think I like this car more than I thought I did. <laughs> I think that too. And one of the things that always surprises me is when you get into a vehicle that's not made for the United States is the transmission. I think it starts uh, the low $30,000 range. Uh, when you get into yeah. these vehicles that you you expect uh, the transmission, you expect more performance, and you realize that only in America do we have giant powerful engines in our cars uh, in Europe they deal with like one liter 1.5 liter engines as the norm um, so I felt when I was there it was kind of a little weak but uh, you, yeah I think you're right after a while you go well it's not really a bad car no not at all and especially you know for the environment that we were in I mean we we're talking about all those pedestrians and just the traffic at least in Stockholm 
And, you know, you're not getting a chance to put the pedal to the floor much, you know. And to zip around town, I think that the power was fine. Um, you know, again, you're not going to go out racing in it. But, you know, for your average day-to-day errands and things like that, I mean, I, I think it's totally adequate power. They had some cool features in the vehicle. First of all, interior, uh, lots of bright colors like reds and oranges and blues on the inside. But right where the armrest is, and there's a center console area, they have those rotator buttons at your fingertips, three of them, where you can, it's almost like an old radio volume knob where you can scroll through things and like the volume, etc. Did you like those? Did you like some of the button layouts? Because I've never seen them before in a car. Yes, actually, I really liked those a lot. I mean, you know, some people are particularly auto journalists. They're very critical about um, Lexus's infotainment system. And I actually think putting those buttons under the armrest there, it really helped a lot. And, um, you know, it was satisfying, I guess, to be like you kind of made the old analysis of the old buttons. It it felt like that, you know, it's like, oh, it's so easy just to turn up the radio right here. And it was very ergonomic, you know, and I think having those um, controls so close right under your hand like that really makes up for the fact that that big, beautiful, the screen, the big, beautiful screen in the car doesn't have a touch screen. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And that's that's a strange thing. I think in Europe, they're not so used to uh, the same sort of technologies that we're used to. Uh, First of all, I remember the Germans years ago that you would like, well, there's there's only one cup holder in your BMW. And they were like, well, if you need coffee, you stop and you go and get a coffee and you drink it and you get back in the car. Not in America, we don't. We need two big gulps in the center at all times, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, um, so they're sort of used to a lot of different things that, uh, that we have. Now, the other thing I thought was kind of uh, weird about it, but it's I guess this is a very Lexus thing's, thing is so it's basically a front wheel drive vehicle it has a gas engine that drives the front but if you want the all-wheel drive version you can only get that in the hybrid vehicle where you have the electric motors in the back and they they power the rear wheels and that's what makes it an all-wheel drive did you find that a strange experience you know it's kind of funny i mean i'm from southern california and so you know for a lot of people all-wheel drive and that that powertrain is really important to them. And for me, I'm just so used to going without it. I don't tend to, to realize it as much when I'm driving. Um, I know that in the high, I did prefer driving the hybrid version just because it felt like it had a little bit more get up and go. Um, but I didn't, I didn't particularly find it strange. Um, but I, I know that that is kind of a, a weird point for some people, especially, you know, for you guys up up in uh, the Pacific Northwest and dealing with that rain and weather, you guys need your all-wheel drive. That's actually a uh, fairly common drivetrain setup for Toyota and Lexus. It's the same system they use in the uh, Highlander Hybrid. Right. And so, but it feels different than the regular all-wheel drive vehicle. So, of course, you're getting power in the back through electricity. And I always find that it's kind of a very strange immediate power when you have the electric engine that pushes you forward. It it takes a lot of tuning because the torque curve of an electric motor and a gasoline engine are completely different. Right. So matching them up is, uh, is a challenge. 
Um, what, now yeah. let's let's talk, Carrie. Let's talk about the the look, uh, the spindle grill, which Lex is of course super famous for, which sets their brand apart from uh, a lot of the other luxury brands. Is this is a huge spindle grill on a very very small vehicle, and I felt a little bit like it was uh, disproportionate, like the front end of the vehicle was uh, very big, um, and then and then the rest of the vehicle was very small. The spindle grill basically takes up. Uh, most of the hood all the way down yes. to the very bottom of the bumper. Did you find that pleasant or a little bit strange? I agree with you, actually. I think that it's a little overpowering. I mean, I know that it's Lexus's thing, um, but it's funny to me the contrast of the exterior design and just how bold and brash it is and and then the inside, which is so much more pleasing. Um so I do agree, like that front grill, you're like, wow, that's a lot of grill for such a little tiny car. Right. <laughs> um, the Lexus have made a real point of including the, a lot of the latest uh, information in their vehicle, uh, Amazon, um, and all those sort of uh, extras to make sure you can communicate with your vehicle as well. Now, I know Ford have been doing this for a while. I think in the Sync 3, they started, they, they were the first people to put Amazon in uh, their vehicles. Do you, carry feel like Amazon is something you would use I, from either home to car or from car to Amazon? Would you? Is this something you would use on a daily basis? For me, I have to say no. <laughs> um, I think that, I mean, granted, I don't have a smart home. Um, and so, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really use that to, you know, get the house ready for when I got back. But uh, to me, no. I feel like it's it's a little gimmicky, but um, I think that some people will find, you know, uh, use for that feature for sure. But for me personally, no. You know, it's, I'm so glad you said that because I thought I was just old. <laughs> and I did, and I thought Amazon was just like ah, oh, it's for it's you know it's just for the young young people today. But uh, apparently, I think it's a great idea and something cool to have. But uh, you know, there you go, uh, Carrie. We, presumably, we can read all of your great stories on Auto by Tell. Uh, great website. Uh, you guys do a great job. Keep up the reviews. Our auto experts still to come. We'll talk about this uh, Flintstone car that could be a reality, and uh, we'll also find out about what Elon. Musk has been up to, plus the Northwest Automotive Press Association. Stay tuned. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Jump right in and put the pedal to the floor. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. Of course, if you have uh, any questions about cars, feel free to connect with us on social media. We have uh, our auto expert Facebook page, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, the website, our auto expert, where you can hear all the previous shows that we have done. Uh, Jen so lovingly put them up on the internet uh, so you can uh, you can listen to. Uh, it's a good thing to, to... Do you listen to the, to the show on the podcast, Jen? Yes, I have to. Does it, do you do it just to send yourself to sleep? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Hopefully nobody does. That would be uh, terrible. John Vincent from the Northwest Automotive Press Association and US, uh, US News and World Report is here. Um, John, so this story came out about this Saudi Arabian inventor who's looking to uh, recreate the Flintstone car. What are your thoughts? Interesting. Uh, do I get a hole in the floorboard so I can just run? Well, I think he's putting... The idea is they're going to put pedals in there so you could pedal 
while uh, sitting in the car. But isn't that like every kid's car that has them? Yeah, like a pedal car. A pedal car. They exact. don't make those anymore. They only have battery power now. So. Oh, yeah. Well, there's <laughs> millennials. I guess the millennials or whatever we're calling the, the next generation. Too much to actually use your feet to pedal. Uh, the, it reminds me when I first heard about that. Haven't we got those beer wagons that drive around all the cities in, in, in the States now? That you pedal and somebody beer drives? Beer wagons and beer boats where you pedal your way from bar to bar. Um, they have them boats as well? Yep. Oh, I'm not sure that drinking and being on water is such a great plan. Yeah, because that's so much better than drinking and being on the street. <laughs> yes, uh, driving down. Well, but here's the deal. The driver of any pedal craft on land is not allowed to drink, right? Correct. Right. So all the people supplying the energy can drink all they like. And I'm guessing the driver has to provide more and more of the energy himself as the day goes on. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. Ah, pedal me. I'm done. <laughs> Uh, but pe- these, of course... I think no- you've missed the mark on this. Nobody would be pedaling and alcohol wouldn't be involved if these are kids in these cars. So clearly, very different uh, thing. I am not sure why you would want a prototype where you have to... I mean, are we going to more and more interesting power sources, not human-powered? Absolutely, I would hope. Um, there are, there have been several... Fl- I've been to auto shows where there's been Flintstone replica cars. With, with my luck, I would get behind the guy in the pedal car in the left lane <laughs> on the freeway. <laughs> and then, then you'd have to pedal your way, or you'd have to drive your way around him. He won't, uh, you couldn't put one of those things on the freeway. You have to, have, you have to go a minimum of like 50 miles an hour, doesn't it, to have to be on the freeway? I think so. I think uh, this would be great for charging your vehicle. You know, the electric vehicles. Pedaling it? Yeah, just pedaling it. No, Jen. Mm-hmm. No, this is go comes from the girl that doesn't have anything smaller than a V8 in her driveway. Yeah, I know, My right? My big question here is, if you're both a cyclist and a driver, do you have to hate yourself? Yes. <laughs> the interesting thing is, uh, this is going to be an Audi A4 Avant wagon. Uh, with, you know, this is the vehicle that they're looking at making into a Flintstone car. You'd think they might have picked something a little a bit lighter. They did. Yeah. They started out with a smart car. Okay. And then they worked their way up to this car, and they actually uh, used it around town. There's nothing, I see that, there's nothing enjoyable about that. Well, did you read the article, the, no. the part, did you read the script where it says... The script? <laughs> yeah. Did you read the script, Nick? <laughs> or did you just show up for the show to talk about cars? I just showed up, Jen. It says this car is a proof of concept Yeah. that appeals to limited market yeah. share. I'd like to know what that limited person is, the guy it, that built it. It says right here, that people well, spend too much time on the road and not at the gym. Yeah. Well, I, I guess you could, I mean, that, there, 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 you have a point there <laughs> that you could get driving and going to the gym in, in one session. That's a good point. However, I don't do the gym, so I just want to drive, and I'm very happy with a much bigger engine than my feet. Limited market. Yeah, limited market, the guy, the guy that designed it. Uh, Concept cars that have alternate power, shouldn't those cars actually have something with a gas pedal, John? Or an electric Accelerator pedal. pedal. Accelerator pedal. Yeah, that's, for me, the, if, if the concept car has any kind of energy that I have to input, it's like the bikes. I see a lot of these bikes around town where these people sit down and they pedal. It's still pedaling a bike. Yes. The electric bikes, the electric bikes are oh, hot right Electric now. bikes I'm into. But, you know, it could be safer. For, that, for people what? who ride bikes. You know how many bicycle accidents there are a year? Yeah, it's yeah. bad. They should all drive cars. Exactly. Be much safer. And now they can pedal their own car. Don't you think? 
much safer if people on bicycles. I'm, John's like, you're not pulling me into this <laughs> argument. <laughs> not a I, chance. I'm not going to get a thousand angry emails from people who, uh, cyclists. I have nothing against cyclists. I think it'd be much safer if they drove cars. Well, if they pedaled their own car, it'd be even safer, and they'd still get their outcome. Oh, you still get the energy? Mm -hmm. No, they go to the gym. Drive to the gym. You'd be much Jeez. happier. But, Jen, out of everybody in this studio right now, mm -hmm. is there anybody who would drive a car, who'd want to drive a car, uh, who'd want to pedal a car? If you're would a cyclist. You? If you're a cyclist. Right. You, you don't believe there's any of this. You're just arguing for the sake of arguing. No, I'm not, actually. <laughs> <laughs> would you, do you think it's a good idea to have a car that you have to propel with pedals? If that's something you want to do. Uh, I, I can't. I'm not John, gonna, I'm not gonna was this something it. you would own? Was this no. what your family... Yeah, yeah. Okay. Jen, would yeah, you I own would, this? No, because yeah. I have V8s, but I'm just saying it's and a we're good done. alternative. Because oh, I have V8s and we're done. <laughs> this, this from, the, the, this from the, the girl who has to climb a stepladder to get into a truck. I do. See, yeah, and you're giving me a hard time about the pedal car being a great idea. It's a great idea for those it fits. The guy that designed it. Ooh, yeah, that's both it. of them. Yep. Both of them. The two, <laughs> the two people involved in the, in the building. This was the biggest waste of time I've ever heard of. Never, I, I can't imagine anybody ever, ever wanting anything like this. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk to John and uh, Sarah Shelton about the Run to the Sun event, which was the Northwest Automotive Press Association. I am Nick Miles. More, our auto expert to come. Stay tuned. More of our auto expert with Nick Miles is on the way. Our auto expert continues. Here's your host, Nick Miles. Uh, the Northwest Automotive Press Association is a gaggle of press who uh, get together, uh, obviously automotive press, and uh, hold several events. I have held an office there. John Vincent, who is in studio, is the current president of uh, the Northwest Automotive Press Association. And uh, Jen is a member. I am. Our, our uh, executive producer. So, uh, John, every year the group has an event called Run to the Sun. And joining us on the phone is, uh, is Sarah Shelton. And she, you and Sarah basically ran the event this year. So, First of all, one of you explain to me which uh, what Run to the Sun is, or explain to the listeners. Clearly, I know because I've participated. The Run to the Sun is a way for uh, journalists to get familiar with some cars that we don't normally get to drive on some of the best roads in the country. And uh, the, this year, you had how many how many cars, Sarah? Did you have this year? We had 18 different cars this year from a, a pretty broad uh, range of, uh, of manufacturers. So give me some examples of some of the cars that you had. Uh, well, we had the Fiat 500 Cabrio. We had the uh, Mazda MX-5 Miata, the RF edition. We had, it was great, we had all the major muscle cars there, the Camaro VL1, the Challenger Red Eye, the Mustang Bullet, and the Mustang GT. Um, then we also had a number of performance SUVs there, the Acura RDA, or, I'm sorry, the RDX, the Alfa Romeo Stelvio Quadrifoglio, 
uh, the Maserati Levante, and Mercedes AMG GLC 63. So tell me, uh, Sarah, because I've dr- I think I've driven pretty much all of those vehicles. Maybe not a recent Fiat 500 Cabriolet. It's been a couple of years since <laughs> I've driven one of those. But a lot of fun, by the way, especially a Bart version, uh, because it makes so much. They had my fun fact about that uh, Cabriolet Bart version of the Fiat 500 is that they went through 16 different exhausts until they found the right one that made the most sound they could possibly make. But it sounds like you had a really great uh, gaggle of cars. Uh, tell me what you thought of that Maserati uh, Levante GTS. You know, it was really interesting because we went right from the Alfa Romeo Stelvio into the Maserati Levante. And so it, uh, one comment that I heard from a number of people uh, is that it felt like getting into a Cadillac Escalade. It felt that much bigger than the Alfa Romeo, even though it really, it really wasn't. Um, and the Levante is a great SUV. It's very refined. I just, I, I'm not sure it's as performance oriented as some of the others. Right. I mean, which, I've never been in a car that cost $134,000 that has an off-road button. Which is which is really great for something that before me it has an off road button. Of course, you know we had to do that. It had an off road button, which is kind of fun. Uh, I just I was surprised at that vehicle and that and the Stelvio, which is the interesting thing is they are the only two SUVs in the world which have Ferrari either Ferrari manufactured or Ferrari's inspired engines, which I think they're That's the because right. Ferrari had now said they're never going to make an SUV. I'm sure they'll change their mind, but we'll, we'll see. Give them time. Right, give, us, give them a couple more years. But isn't that interesting? So, so you're driving them back to back. I know they were different sizes, but you, they're very spirited drives, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. Well, in the Alfa Romeo, you know, like you said, it's, it's not only powered by Ferrari, but it very much embodies an Italian sports car, but in an SUV form. You know, it's got the robust performance enveloped in a refined atmosphere. It, and it, as a bonus, it sounds just as lovely as it looks. So let's uh, tell me, uh, you had prior awards from this event. Uh, so once you'd evaluated all these 18 cars, give me the categories and then let's talk about uh, who got the most votes. Okay, we had um, four different categories and then, of course, the main overall winner. The, the categories were the uh, con- convertible, uh, the most fun coupe, the most fun sports sedan, the most fun SUV, and then, of course, the overall winner. All right, so let's start with the convertible. Who took away that prize? That was the 2019 Mazda MX-5 Miata RF. And, of course, for 2019, this little Miata gets a a boost in horsepower. Um, And what do you think was the, what what swayed the the journalists on the RF version of the Miata? Well, the RF is just a lovely car to drive. You know, it's it's not about horsepower when it comes to this car. It's really about the way that it handles. You're you're very low to the ground, Um, just driving in the curves. It, It. it's a lot of fun. It's um, you can't have a bad day if you're driving a Mazda Miata. I think they still claim that it's the most sold sports car in the world. Is that right, or did Mustang trump them on that? I think they've sold over I, a million of those MX-5 Miatas. I, I, I bet John's got pretty good numbers on that. Yeah, John, I think it is the most raced car in the world. Is it? Uh, they have made a lot of them, though. They have made a lot of them. All right, let's get on to the coupes. Uh, who who won the two door segment? Uh, that was the Ford Mustang Bullet, and it was interesting because we had both the Mustang Bullet and the Mustang GT uh, with the performance pack, 
And so it was, uh, it was fascinating to see that same model, but because of the different additions, they drove very different from each other. Right. I think I prefer the shift, uh, the shifter in the, uh, in the bullet. I think the, mm-hmm, the GT yeah. shifter is, is not my favorite. I think it used to be a lot shorter throws between gears and now it's quite long. Uh, I prefer the well, and I think that's what a lot of our, our members found too, is that the bullet was just a little bit more relaxed. It still had all the power that you wanted, but it just didn't feel quite as aggressive. And, and because of that, I think people liked the overall experience with that much better. Had the event been held on a racetrack? the GT track pack would have won. Right. But with its aggressive tires on public roads, it wanted to pull you all over the road, and it was just a little too much for the road. Plus, with the bullet, I mean, you got Steve McQueen sexy, so that's really hard to do. I mean, it's like, I mean, you feel like, I mean, that car just makes you feel like you're, like, in charge and and awesome. This is the best bullet I've ever done. Yeah, both of those points, I agree. All right, let's get to the sedan. Where Where do we end up with a sedan? The sedan winner was the 2018 BMW M5. Oh, awesome. 600 horsepower, uh, great German. I, and I'll tell you one thing about that car, a great piece of German engineering. The downfall for me on that M5 is it looks like every regular 5 Series. It's the, the differences between the M5 and the regular 5 Series are so subtle. I can't tell. There's no fin, there's no, uh, uh, fin on the back. There's, no, there's nothing that makes it really stand out in looks-wise. But maybe that's why people like it so much, because you can drive it around and, and it's not instantly recognizable as a 600-horsepower German roaring machine. Making right, that it's, car like a, it's like a sneaker car. Yeah, making that car move is just effortless. I think one of the fun things about it is, too, if you put it in the uh, adaptive cruise control, you can take your hands off the wheel for a significantly long time, and the car will do all the work for you, which I that's their autonomous, their stage right, that you can't be any more you know, uh, uh, autonomous than it is legally right now. Um, and it, we, I've done some tests in that car. About five to seven seconds, it'll start to warn you don't have your hands on the wheel, but it won't actually disconnect the uh, cruise control until about 30, 25, 30 seconds. With that many horsepower, we'd really rather you not be driving, Nick. Well, I, I wasn't doing 180 <laughs> miles an hour in the car, but it was a lot. Of, it's definitely a lot of fun. All right. Uh, so what do we got left? The SUV. Who, uh, who took the away SUV. that price? That was the 2018 Alfa Romeo Stelvio Quadrifoglio. Uh, That's a mouthful. (laughs) And you know, they shortened that name. It used to be Quadrifoglio Verde. So they dropped the Verde, uh, which is, I think, green four leaves. Quadrifoglio Verde, I think, means green green four leaves. Green, yeah, because of the four-leaf clover. Right. Exactly. Uh, But now it's just, they, they dropped the green. So uh, it is, it's a lot shorter than it used to be. We have to be that thankful yeah. for that. Uh, that is, well, it's, it's a Stella. Probably me of green if you're going to buy that SUV. <laughs> it's a Stella machine, isn't it? They did a really good job. Absolutely. Yeah, that one is 505 horsepower, and, and you feel every one of them, that's for sure. Yeah, lots of horses, and I'm sure lots of great Oregon roads to gallop in them. Uh, and then uh, at the end of the day, you had those four winners. Do you pick your winner, your overall winner from those four, or is it done separately? Nope, people can it's choose. It's actually done separately. Yep, anything they wanted out of the whole All right, field. So, so who won, who won the big prize? Alfa Romeo again took the big wow. prize home. Must have made Alfa Romeo very happy. Yes, yes. Uh, now, Sarah, out of the 18 cars that you drove, which one would you have in your driveway? 
Oh, you know, I got to say, I really enjoy the 2019 Acura RDX. I think that um, Acura has done a great job with their super handling all-wheel drive system that they put in it. And uh, to me, for my money, that car is not only a great amount of fun to drive, you know, you get in the twisty corners and you can really push that SUV and it'll have grip all the way through. But I think it also looks great inside and out. What? Tell me the two things you didn't like about it, because I'll tell you, I think it's almost perfect apart from two things. Well, I um, I think they definitely did a much better job with the infotainment system this go around. Um, I'm, I'm curious to hear what, what is it that, uh, that you're not happy about. I hate push button shifters. They drive me <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Uh, I yeah. think I think the fact is they're okay in a lot of cars. Uh, Mercedes and Lincoln do them. You know, Lincoln have them on the dash. Mercedes have it on a stalk. They're okay. Lincoln's are worse. I bump Lincoln's all the time. Anytime I'm going to reach over for the infotainment. So here's what bugs me about it, and I think honestly, the Acura RDX, the new 2019 model, is is just a skin off of being a perfect vehicle. Here's what drives me crazy about it. They tell me that those push-button transmission buttons in the center console, you're supposed to be able to feel which gear and just push it because every button is different. I feel like the guy who's, who's trying to sell me uh, like a kitchenware set says, and every single dish is a different style. Look, you get all these stuff. I it, dry, it, it makes me feel, and I have to look down at it every time to do it. The other thing that I don't like about it is the uh, the the new touchpad. Now the idea of the touchpad is you're supposed to push on the pad and your finger goes wherever you push on the pad it goes the same place on the screen. But intuitively I've been educated by these car companies so often to put my finger down and slide it around until my mouse or my cursor arrives on something on the screen and then I push down. Well, it doesn't work like that. You have to actually hit that pad exactly where you need to hit on the screen and that drives me nuts. And it's probably a me thing but I don't know if you had any of the same problems. Nick, if you hate push-button shifters, you're going to hate the future. Um, I'm sure. I'm <laughs> fine with the rotating dial. I'm fine with all those things. Uh, it's just, just get him a pedal car and he'll be fine. Ah, <laughs> ah, no pedal cars. I, I like myself a nice manual transmission, diesel or turbo, and a wagon, please. I, yeah, manual. <clears throat> manual. Or voice-activated. What? Yeah, go voice activated. Well, then you just might as well have your mum drive you around. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I'm just saying instead of push buttons. But oh, going to you know drive? You FF has the reverse button. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess, you know, when you think about F1 cars, Ferraris, and those sort of things, I mean, they're, they're push-button transmission. You can mm -hmm. use the paddle shifters. I guess that's my fallback. I just, I like, I, I guess I just, I like having a shifter where I can put it into drive or park or the rotating knob where I can see exactly where it's going. Push I agree. Button, push button for me doesn't work out so well. So, uh, Sarah, what, what do they win? What, uh, is, there a, is there a purse? Is there a trophy? Is there a party? What, does, what, do, what do the car companies win? A date with well, Nick. Well, uh, at our upcoming Het uh, Nwapa's Mud Fest, which is a, a, an SUV event that we hold every spring, we'll hand out awards to the winners there. So it's a nice shiny trophy. Exactly. Shiny trophy something that hasn't something been nice to put yet. on your mantle. All right. So who's designing the trophy, John? We use a company out of Vancouver, BC that uses recycled materials to create trophies. All right. As long as they're recycled car parts, I can go with that. <laughs> they may not be. They may not be. Uh, well, congratulations. Was this, was this year's event a whole bunch of fun? 
It was a whole bunch of Absolutely. fun. Absolutely. All right. As long as you left lots of tire tracks on the road, I'm sure we're very happy with it. Coming up next, we're going to talk more about what's going on in the auto industry. We'll find out about new Mercedes-Benz or Mercedes-AMG GT four-door. And our auto expert as our gasoline-inspired show continues. Don't go away. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Our auto expert will be right back. It's our auto expert with Nick Miles. You know, the bars of automotive are often set uh, by Porsche. Uh, They seem to be the company that does a lot of leading. Um, But uh, now, Mercedes-Benz have come up with a brand new vehicle, the AMG GT four-door coupe which actually sucks it right in the smacker for the Porsche Panamera Turbo S. And joining us on the phone is Baron Smith from AMG or Mercedes AMG. I got to spend a few days in Austin, Texas at America's only F1 track, Circuit of the Americas, and drive the car around the track and also uh, drive it on the roads as well. So, uh, Baron, let me ask you this question. When you guys designed the uh, the GT four-door coupe, did you come out of the gate thinking that you were going to beat uh, Porsche with the Panamera S, or is that just a happy coincidence? Hi, Nick. First off, thanks for having me. It's always a fun time talking with you, and it was great having you at the launch of the AMG GT coupe. This is a car we're all very excited about here at Mercedes-AMG. And I think to your question, it's more of a, a result of the people who developed this car from the start. The fact that this is the first four-door developed by Mercedes-AMG start to finish, and these people are the gearheads, the most performance-oriented at Mercedes, really just is a byproduct of the fact that this car was developed to be the best and drive the future of performance in four-door cars. So as you experience on the track, it, it's just as capable of exciting you at the track and then also taking you home with three of your friends. I think uh, my favorite part about it is that you can take your friends along for the ride in the zero to 60 time, whereas before it would be just you and a a passenger. Now you can have everybody enjoy your zero to 60 times. Uh, By the way, I couldn't do better than 3.4 seconds. So I'm a failure because it's three three point one is what the car is is listed at. I couldn't do better than uh, three, but I do appreciate the fact that you let me do donuts in the car, and that's one of the coolest things about the car is that you can uh, instead of being an all wheel drive, you can in in race mode you can disconnect the front wheels and make it all wheel uh, make it rear wheel drive, right? Right. Yeah, that's one of my favorite features, actually, the drift mode. I, I saw you out on the track having fun, and I was a bit jealous. <laughs> I would. I'll tell you one of the things that is it is a little frustrating for me about it is Mercedes don't make it easy to put into drift mode. Like it's, I think, a four or five step process. And if I remember it rightly. You have to put it into drift. You have to put it into race. Then you have to. Uh, hold down and and take off the traction control then you have to pull both paddle shifters all the way back and then you have to do some kind of confirm that you want it in drift mode and then you have to hit the right paddle shifter and then it goes in like it's not something you could do in an emergency it, it sounds like you just let one of mercedes top secrets go no, no, I, know, I don't think right? it's a secret like i don't think they're, they're not hiding it from anybody the fact is though you can't accidentally put it into drift mode right baron Right, and I think that's intentional because as you experience in drift mode, it, it wants to go sideways. <laughs> oh, and it did. <laughs> you need to be on a track for drift mode. It went sideways, and there was a lot of smoke, and I might have cost you $1,000 in tires or so, but it was a lot of fun for you know, a few <laughs> minutes. 
The, you know what? You got a great video, so I'm happy. Yeah. Did, did you like that? Did you see? You saw the TV. You saw the TV news report I did on it. I, I did. Yeah. I really like the fact that you chose to match your shirt to the seatbelt. You both had uh, yellow seatbelts and your yellow shirt. That was uh, a nice touch. I know, right? It's almost like the guys at Mercedes uh, AMG uh, found out what color shirt I'd be wearing and got the exactly the same yellow t-shirt, uh, yellow t-shirt, yellow the yellow seatbelt. Uh, that's one of the things that's kind of cool about this because the personalization that you can do with the, the GT four door coupe is extremely high. And uh, there are six different body body styles you can order in the car exactly yeah there's two exterior carbon fiber packages an amd amg aerodynamic package that actually increases the downforce and reduces negative lift an amg night package and then 11 wheel choices and as well as two matte paint finishes so if you want to make the car as unique and individual as you are mercedes amg is happy to help you do that take that porsche <laughs> Take that. Uh, you, and on top of that, too, that you, you guys have uh, really sort of packed it with uh, technology uh, on top of that, including the fact that now you can change driving modes from the steering wheel and you can program the steering wheel. I don't think anybody's done that before. Always steering wheels. Uh, one of the things that Mercedes AMG do really well, and of course, Mercedes is the car company that does uh, F1 better than anybody else. They're constantly winning at it. One of the cool things that you do, you've always done is lots and lots of steering wheel buttons, but they've always been fixed until now. So now you've given us the ability to program the buttons the way we want them, right? Right, yeah, that's part of the new um, two drive modes you can access uh, via the steering wheel. There's one on the right and then one on the left-hand side of the steering wheel. The left-hand side is actually a configurable button. You can have different functions programmed in there, and then the right one actually accesses all of the six different drive modes in the vehicle. And my favorite feature of that is that you can easily access the active exhaust button. So when you're getting in the car and you want to hear the exhaust loud and start up, you just press your thumb a little bit away from where you're holding on the wheel, and then you hear that wonderful AMG exhaust. Yeah, I think I like call that get, get me attention button. So, you know, you'll be driving <laughs> through downtown Austin and you'll see someone, watch this, blah, 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 blah. And then, of course, you get everybody's attention, which I think, thanks for doing that, by the way, because more people look at me in the car thanks to that active exhaust button. Well, I, I'm glad you're in. <laughs> uh, is this interestingly enough? I saw somebody post a picture of the S Class and the uh, and this this particular car, the AMG GT four door, and this almost looks like an S coupe. Like it looks like the S Class, but a little more coupey. Is it? So, I think that's part of the presence of the vehicle. They're both very large, and the length is imposing. And in a menacing face, especially in a matte color, it, it looks like a flagship, even though it's a performance flagship and the S-Class is much more luxurious. I, I think one of the fun things about it is, too, that it's, it's kind of like the S-Class for the cool, hip, tattooed racetrack type of guy so now you have the s-class for the you know the businessman for the uh, the wealthy entrepreneur the business owner but then you've given something for the guy that owns a chain of tattoo parlors which you know clearly is much more especially in that matte color is much cooler as well are you going to race these vehicles are these are mercedes going to use these in a race class or is that just for those people that want to do it privately we haven't announced anything regarding the four-door coupes yet, but we use the AMG GTs in our Insta race series currently. And these cars share a lot of features with the two-door versions of the AMG GT, which have been very successful so far for us in Insta competition here in the U.S. All right, so uh, is price something that you have yet? Because when I was driving this car uh, 
a little while ago you didn't have a price uh, for them yet and um, we have a European price but not a US price is that announced or is that coming that's coming closer to the market launch date so these cars will go on sale early next year first quarter uh, we'll have the AMG GT 53 uh, the um, entry level for the AMG GT Porter family and then moving up to the 63 and then the 63S Ultimate Track Performance Monster, um, all available with pricing closer to launch. How many GT cars do you guys have now? They, they have the, the AMG GT, the GTC, the GTR, the GTS, the GT4, and the GT4 Door Coupe. The GT4 is the track only right. car, right? Yeah, yeah, we have nine variants now of the AMG GT family. That's, that's a huge uh, point of pride for us is that now there is an AMG GT family. Mercedes AMG is growing, and yeah, we're excited to grow along with it. So, at what point in the development process did you say we can take the great performance out of this GT Coupe and put it in a sedan? <laughs> I think it was probably when we realized that there was people seeing how much fun AMG GT owners were having just with two people, and then feeling left out of the process. And we wanted to figure out a way to to bring more people into that car and share that AMG driving experience. Baron Smith, thank you so much from Mercedes AMG. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. He's Nick Miles, and this is Our Auto Expert. Welcome back to the show. Uh, John Vincent from the Northwest Automotive Press Association and U.S. News and World Report is in the studio along with our producer, Jen. We're talking about very cool car stuff. Uh, Jen, you discovered this uh, news story that you came up with. Explain this to me. Okay, so this is based on 1.3 million automotive insurance shoppers. Um, so basically, which cars are number one within their state? And this is depending on the insurance companies decided uh, to, to research with people and find out, is this people's personal opinion or is it what was sold? It's what's what's sold. Oh, right. So where, where does Oregon come in this? <laughs> I don't Where does even Washington know. come in? It? Uh, interestingly <laughs> enough, the Honda Accord was a number one in uh, in Oregon, in Pennsylvania, in New Jersey. Uh, it seems to be the number one car overall, followed in by Oregon. the Honda, Honda Civic. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was the number two in, in a lot of the states. Washington. It, it, the funniest thing to me is I read down this list in Washington too. Is it the Civic? Yeah, the Civic is the is Washington and uh, Oregon is the Accord. I I'm not surprised at this list. I'm looking down the list. I'm surprised there's not more Subarus on there. But I'm I'm surprised at the top five. I am super surprised at number four. You guys look at number four. Well, it, Chevy Impala. Yeah, not for here. It's the number one car I, in Iowa, Indiana, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, <laughs> Ohio, Oakland. The case, Oakland. the case rests. <laughs> That's kind of it. Makes me smile in a sense. Too. The Impala is the number one car in all those places where you never see an Accord, a Camry, or an Altima. And and one thing I've learned after being an auto journalist for uh, many years, it's 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 not so much what people aspire to own, what they want to own it's where the closest dealers are and that's there's lots of people around the country that would love a mini and some people do drive like three or four hundred miles to get their mini serviced but it's really what's convenient for everybody true um it, you know there uh, portland only has one mini dealer which is in on canyon road um seattle has two mini dealers those mini dealers if you don't live close to those uh two mini dealers 
the chance of owning a Mini is is slim because you don't want to drive 25, 30 miles, 100 miles to have your Mini serviced. And then do you decide on your personal vehicles uh, for where you will get them serviced? Well, I have Hondas, so I can get them serviced pretty much <laughs> everywhere. What about you, Jen? You have Chevys. Mm-hmm. And is that because you had a Chevy shop near you or just because? No, because I'm a Chevy girl. All right. So you had nothing to do with where you... See, strangely <laughs> enough, I the, the vehicles that I own are probably the furthest I could be from any dealer that services them. Like, I own two Minis, uh, a Land Rover. I'm not so far from a Land Rover dealer. Uh, my Chevy, I can get s- serviced almost anywhere. My Triumph, that's a whole different story, and my Honda's a whole different story because I can get that serviced anywhere. But interestingly enough, if you live in the middle of the country, I don't. do you guys ever see that map which showed off uh, which state was the number one selling car? I think they had it about two years ago. And right down the middle, there's a belt of Ford and a belt of Chevy, and just through the middle of the country, because those are all the dealers. That's it. And F-150 in Silverado. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially down in Texas and the truck buying states, I think, which is usually south of the Mason-Dixon line, much heavier truck buying than it is north. I mean, it, uh, my friends from Texas, they don't need a truck, but just because they live in Texas, the family have a te- family truck. Oregon used to be the outlier with Ram, and it's becoming more and more common that more and more states have Ram as the number one truck. Yeah, I think uh, that survey that I saw was in probably 2016 where they had a colored map. Uh, the number one selling vehicle in Oregon was a Ram 1500. And interestingly enough, uh, in Washington, it was a Subaru. I'm not sure which model it was. Outback. It might, yeah, probably an Outback. Which makes a lot of sense. I know that Subaru uh, were, had five markets that they were really big in, and they were all the markets that you thought that they would be number one. It's Oregon, Washington, Vermont, Austin. <laughs> I think they were the, the, the cities that you were like, yep, Subaru owners, absolutely, home core Subaru market. Uh, funnily enough, it's a very lifestyle thing, which really points to, again, the middle of the country. You need a reliable car that can do long mileage, is super comfortable. When you're driving two or 300 miles, uh, sometimes on a daily basis, you have to be able to get to a dealer very easily that's close to you. Yep. So we started off the segment talking about auto insurers and at U.S. <laughs> yeah. News and World Report, we just launched a massive amount of new auto insurance content. Nobody likes to talk about insurance. Nobody likes to buy it. But when you need to know information about what insurance you need and how you should buy it, go to U.S. News and World Report. One of the things that's uh, interesting to me is that one of the reasons that uh, fewer people were buying Teslas is because they were hard to insure. Um, they're expensive to insure. They were hard to insure. and they're Expensive uh, to repair, hard yeah. to repair. Uh, specialist repairs, too. And I think Tesla uh, themselves... Well, a, a certain amount of repairs can only be done by Tesla themselves. Tesla is trying to take their own bodywork in in house and with various amounts of success. Well, a failure. I think there's six months to have repairs on certain models too. So uh, that was a, that's a huge problem for them. I mean, uh, this is nothing to do with the stuff we're going to talk about in the next segment, which is <laughs> the legal problems that Elon Musk is currently facing. We're going to get get the behind the scenes and the in depth story on that from Anton Wallman, uh, who is an independent analyst and investor. But uh, again, it's very hard sometimes to buy a vehicle that you aspire to own when you find out that and you expect insurance to be extremely high on a Ferrari or a a Lamborghini or a a super fast a supercar 
uh, a, Mas- a high-end Maserati, but you don't expect it to be very high on a Model 3, and it, it is. And you really don't want to find that out the day after you bought the car. <laughs> yeah. You need to be thinking about your insurance costs before you buy the car. Right, because you presume, a lot of people presume when they buy the vehicle, their insurance rate doesn't change a lot. Well, it does change a huge amount. I know that uh, certain vehicles that my family own just didn't make any sense to continue owning because the insurance was so high on them. And I'm thinking things like minivans, uh, some older minivans, they just didn't make any sense for the insurance companies to keep insuring because it was cheaper to buy a new vehicle and use the excess amount of money you'd have paid for insurance towards a car payment, which made much more sense than buying a brand new car. A lot of times I'll go to talk to somebody and, and they'll say, I'm ask them how much they pay for insurance and for their car every month and when you do the calculations on buying a brand new car and getting new insurance for a different kind of model you can actually afford they might be driving a 2015 and making car insurance payments on it they could have a 2019 and have less of a payment and the same size vehicle and every case is different in a lot of cases you can buy that 2015 and because it's depreciated out it's going to cost a whole lot less to repair. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when you buy a car, John, do you look at how much insurance is going to cost you? I'm I sure should. you do. <laughs> I do not. Really? I'm the opposite. Well, I just bought another minivan, so. <laughs> now, generally, a minivan's high to insure? No. They're cheaper. Cheaper. Generally, they're not four-wheel drive. They're, you know, they're a little bit less. Uh, I guess four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive is expensive to repair, right? Yes, and minivan drivers drive their vehicles differently than other car drivers do. Are you putting people into boxes now? Yes. <laughs> Dude, what about big truck drivers? <laughs> Jen's, well, Jen's like looking away yeah, from me. Come on, John. <laughs> I wonder how expensive they are to drive. Do you back into posts and stuff? What? You're back into posts? No. See, I was used to that in my trucks. No. All right, coming up next, we'll talk to Anton Warman. He's an independent analyst and investor. We're going to find out the scoop about Elon Musk and the fact that he's in some serious trouble right now. More of our auto expert with Nick Miles is on the way. Fast Lane. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. Well, uh, normally I enjoy talking about uh, Elon Musk and Tesla as the uh, as just another great part of the Our Auto Expert show, but it couldn't be better to talk about it uh, right now, especially since it is probably one of the lead news stories uh, this week. Uh, Anton Woolman joining us. He is an independent uh, analyst and investor, and you can read his. Uh, articles at uh, Seeking Alpha. Um, Anton, boy, is there a whirlwind around Elon Musk this weekend. Yeah, there's no shortage of very important news that dropped. To recap, for those who hadn't heard or seen, basically the SEC sued Elon Musk and Tesla, the company, for securities fraud, and very, very quickly, shortly thereafter, uh, the party settled, and the settlement is uh, complex, but it involved both Elon Musk and the company, each paying $20 million, as well as promising to add a couple of new board members, and that Elon 
is to step down from the chairmanship of the company for I think it was three years, starting uh, uh, you know before the end of this year. So that is the outcome of it. I think there were also some other governance reforms that involved. Uh, that all communications that he makes and the company makes to the outer world needs to be reviewed by very qualified people, such as that includes not only his uh, Twitter habit, but also, you know, things like uh, quarterly earnings calls and things like that. So he will be a bit circumscribed in uh, his ability to uh, communicate without a filter going forward. But lo and behold, it is today Sunday and we are 24 hours away from 24 hours after the settlement, and I think he may have already found a way around these constraints. So what he did was that he wrote a memo to all of his employees, I think there are almost 40,000 of them, in which he made all sorts of statements about what he thought would be out the outcome of the quarter that ends today, and uh, said that this is just internal communications, knowing full well, of course, that it would take approximately 0.01 seconds for that uh, email to leak to the outer world, which it did. So instead of just typing in the information straight into his Twitter account unfiltered, you go about it uh, in a roundabout way, which is you type up an internal memo, send it out to all of your employees, and poof, every website in the world has a copy of it as fast as the internet can afford. I really love the language you use, his Twitter habit, by the way. <laughs> I think that's excellent. Uh, so let me ask you this with this question. Uh, he, uh, he did the deal, his lawyers did the deal with uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission, but then uh, he, he backed off saying he wouldn't sign it because he was not being true to himself. What does that mean? Well, basically, uh, for whatever reason, they had negotiated a deal that was on the table uh, by about Wednesday or so at the latest. And supposedly, according to reports from, I think it was the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, on Thursday morning, uh, he basically rejected the settlement proposal from the SEC. And the SEC then went into high gear and uh, finalized uh, the final touches on its complaint, which they filed after the market closed on Thursday afternoon. Of course, this led to a market reaction on Friday in which the stock was down, I think, over 13%. And uh, everybody basically said, look, the settlement terms, as rumored, were so generous given the gravity of these offenses that it would be absolutely insane to not take an offer like that. So I think simply what happened is that after the market closed on Friday, uh, somebody talked some sense into the man and uh, they called and said, look, uh, is that offer still on the table? And if the reporting on the matter is true, uh, it was in principle back on the table, except the terms got a little bit worse. He had to pay a little bit of a bigger fine and had to stay away from the chairmanship of the company a little bit longer. But in essence, that was the result. So the SEC is not known for moving quickly. What was their sense of urgency with, with Tesla? Well, this was an offense that was conducted in public in front of 
the world to see in an unprecedented day that 7th of August. So unlike many other cases that the SEC investigates where the general public is essentially unaware of the offense because it may involve something like insider trading or whatever. And, you know, with the rest, you know, we just don't, we aren't aware of it. They find out for whatever reason what has been going on. And therefore, they can take their sweet time. They can take, in some cases, years to investigate these matters. In this case, everybody yelled foul uh, in, in, in on October 7th and said, look, this is obviously uh, a false set of statements that are so egregiously false. There is just no defense against them. There is no way you can say, I mean, he doesn't even try, essentially, to say that these things uh, were not true. These things actually happened. And therefore, it was an open and shut case, and the SEC had the luxury, as it were, to move expeditiously to then basically put his back against the wall and say, hey, what do you have to say for yourself? But now it's just a matter of uh, how much are you going to have to bend over. So he's not going to be chairman anymore, but he's still going to be CEO. On a practical matter, what does that mean? Well, one could certainly make the argument that he still got away with the kiddest of kid gloves here because uh, basically he is left to still run the company. The $20 million for him and the $20 million for the company is a little bit on a proportional basis like An you and I getting a parking ticket. Anton, hang on one second. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we got a lot more to talk about Elon Musk being in trouble with the Securities and Exchange Commission, plus what's going to happen with the DOJ. That's coming up on our Auto Expert. Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. It's our auto expert with Nick Miles. Anton Warman is still on the phone with us. So, uh, Anton, uh, the DOJ also maybe have a part to play in this. I know through emails that we exchanged talking about uh, Elon Musk this week that uh, you said page five of the Securities and Exchange Commission complaint suggested there was more to come. Well, there are two things going on here. First, we have, before we get into the Department of Justice, the Securities and Exchange Commission itself in the settlement with Tesla says explicitly that the settlement does not cover any other issue that may or may not be under investigation. So clearly, the SEC is investigating a plethora of other issues and to the extent that something were to arise, they could bring additional charges and the settlement that took place here uh, just the other day uh, simply doesn't cover any such things that are coming up. They also said basically that any criminal issues that were to arise, in other words, the things that were to concern the Department of Justice, uh, would also not be covered by uh, this settlement. So we know from a leak that occurred about a week and a half or so ago uh, that the Department of Justice is looking into something, whatever that something is, I don't know, but they're looking into something and they may or may not bring any charges. We know from the Theranos case from a few months ago that the SEC came out and settled with Elizabeth Holmes in March for $500,000 plus basically barring her from being an officer or director of a company for a long while, maybe forever, forget the exact terms. And then about three or four months later, the Department of Justice came out and essentially started filing criminal charges against her as well. So the Department of Justice has 
basically is able to take uh, a longer time to uh, look at whatever they feel like looking at. And uh, in the end, it may or may not result in anything. So I guess in this case, we simply have to be patient and wait. We should not assume that anything is going to drop from their side tomorrow or next week or even next month. It should, uh, it uh, more likely than not would take months if anything ever emerges from that corner. Now, as a layperson who knows very little of the law, but thinks they know a lot, um, I see some other issues that I have personally identified that Elon may have, and that is uh, he personally purchased shares, I think, May 28th and the beginning of June after not having information that he says that uh, the Saudis are interested in buying the company. Now, that is the sort of thing that the DOJ may be warranted to investigate. Uh, he had information about the possible sale of his company, was still purchasing shares, uh, that, to me, is a red flag. Is that a red flag to you? You are 100% right, Nick, and that is something that ought to be... It hasn't been really been discussed so much in the media, in my opinion, but it, you know, at least on my mind, should be absolutely at or very near the top of what they ought to be looking into because it seems pretty uh, open and shut on at first glance because he has himself said in his blog post from, I think it was the 13th or 14th of uh, August, if you go on their website, you can read it in his own words, that he was in discussions with the Saudis starting already in 2017 and going into 2018, all the way through when this thing uh, unfolded here right around the beginning of August. And uh, during that time, he stepped in and just bought a lot of shares for his own account and you know ask yourself does, would that work would that fly with any other ceo or similarly situated individual with any other company in the united states playing in the public markets my sense is not so i think that uh, he would at, at a minimum have to explain why he somehow would have had no inkling uh, of any talks when he wrote down himself that he actually had had such talks around that time. So that is that is a big one right there. But you can also see the DOJ simply going after the same basic idea that the Securities and Exchange Commission had and basically bringing criminal charges along the similar lines of the ones that formed the foundation of the settlement uh, just uh, now, that is not inconceivable either. And then, of course, on top of all of those things, they could have been looking at other things as well, both the SEC and the DOJ. So this is one of those cases where it is pretty rare that we get very specific leaks from the SEC and the DOJ and that the leaks that have come out have really been limited to do, limited to, to whether they are, in fact, um, uh, doing anything at all. And uh, that's basically the extent of the leak so far that they are looking into uh, something. And uh, we are just going to have to find out uh, what and when. So, all right, let, let's chip down to the layers here. So it looks like that he purchased shares while having personal information about the company's status and performance. So it looks like from a layperson, from my point of view, that that would warrant an insider trading investigation, which is pretty serious. I remember the name Martha Stewart and, and insider trading uh, brought up in years gone by, and she, uh, she got investigated for the same thing. Uh, is this a serious enough situation to be a DEFCON, you know, one 
as opposed to the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission, which could be considered to be a fairly mild slap on the wrist? Yeah, certainly such charges would be far more grave, especially for Elon personally, because those would be really directed against him personally, not so much against the company. So if they were to bring such charges after having conducted an investigation into that matter, that would be uh, a red alert of, of a far uh, more severe degree of magnitude than uh, what we saw here unfold in the last few days. If it were to come to that, then, then, then it would be uh, a whole different orbit altogether. So let's just suggest that there is in a possibility of insider trading. That, that says that if the investigation finds that that is the case, I mean, we're talking not just about fines and, and being removed from the company. We're talking about the possibility of, of jail time. That would be well within the range of possibility, possibility at that point. It would be, uh, one might argue, more typical than not that something like that were to happen. And I mean, this is one of those cases where when you're the CEO of a company and, and he is sort of the CEO of a CEO in the sense that he is so identified with the company, he really alone was the man driving all of these conversations. He and he alone, you know, the board apparently had very little to do with any of those stuff. So he alone drove the strategy and the financings of the company. So he was, you know, even more privileged when it comes to having the, the specific information here. And he would really need to be far more Catholic than the Pope in terms of his staying away from any market activity in his own stock. I mean, for him to trade in his own stock, you know, he would need to be so there can be no remotest vicinity to a gray zone here for him to be in the clear. He would need to stay so far away for a minute for him to go out and buy almost a hundred million dollars worth of stock during this process uh, is frankly baffling. So speaking of buying stock, stock's down 14% or so on Friday. You want to buy low and sell high? Since it's at its low, would you go out and buy Tesla stock tomorrow morning? Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced the stock, all other things equal, based on what we know right now. And keep in mind, this is a fast-moving story here. We're talking on uh, Sunday afternoon, and Lord knows what is going to emerge between now and tomorrow morning. Uh, it looks like the stock is probably going to rebound a little bit and recover some or maybe even all of its losses from last Friday because the settlement was seen by the market, I think, to be so relatively favorable to Musk and the company that it's a bit of a relief. Now, of course, all of this may be overshadowed by the company coming out and commenting on profitability, cash flow, and uh, revenue, in other words, deliveries and production uh, for the car business for the third quarter, which may happen here in the coming hours. So uh, the game is not over yet, but based upon what we know right now, one would have to say that it's more likely than not that the stock is probably going to open up tomorrow by a few percent. In the future, uh, is Tesla going to make it? Because they have a big refinancing need towards the end of the year, don't they? 
they have several refinancings. They have one for, I think, a little bit over $200 million coming due in November or so, and then there's another $920 million that comes due at the end of the first quarter. But you have to keep in mind that the cash that they need to have on hand for the second one there, it needs to be on the books by December 31st per the various loan agreements that the company has. So they can't just you know, somehow magically find the cash in, in, in the beginning of March or whatever and have it ready. They need to have it ready and sitting there uh, escrowed by the end of this calendar year. So those are many of the pieces that the company need to overcome here in terms of being able to stay afloat. And if you look at the balance sheet from last quarter, you'll find that they have $3 billion in short-term vendor payments coming due. And their overall deficit in terms of current uh, uh, um, liabilities uh, subtracting from that the current assets is about $2.4 billion. So they're deep in the hole here in terms of the amount of money that they need to find in order to make the various commitments that they have in front of them in a matter of months, not years. You use the term magically. Isn't that pretty much how Tesla does everything? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, well, in this case, of course, I don't think uh, magic will do it. They will actually have to raise money. They would have to issue new shares or refinance these loans or loan new money. And the question is, if you are a lender or if you're an underwriter, say you're one of their big existing banks, such as Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley, are you going to be willing to... Uh, have the legal exposure to underwrite a securities offering from a company where you know from media reports that the Department of Justice is investigating for potential very serious issues. And if you were to do such an underwriting and such uh, action is brought by the Department of Justice, you as an underwriter could essentially, they could go after you saying, hey, you were reckless in underwriting the situation. So, you know, is Tesla able to raise money right now. That is really the big question that it all boils down to because the company really needs billions just to survive for the next 12 months and they need even more billions of dollars to fund the new factories that need to be purchased in order to produce the new products that they have promised. Remember the semi-truck, the Roadster, and then we have the Model Y, which they say will be unveiled on or about March 15. And then shortly after that, we have the uh, light uh, pickup truck that is also going to be coming in uh, at some point down the road here. So all of these products need factories. Factories cost billions of dollars and they take two, three, maybe sometimes four years to build. So uh, the company needs billions of dollars to front all of those things. And then uh, get to work after that and right now they just don't have the money and it needs to be raised. Uh, Anton, in the last 60 seconds that we have, uh, tell us the best case scenario for Tesla and the worst case scenario. Well, the best case scenario are twofold. Number one, that they uh, are able to essentially get to a sustainable level of profitability and cash flow or that they get some new investor. It could be a private investor, such as uh, uh, you know a very rich billionaire or tech company, whatever, or if they've managed to execute a public offering. Worst case scenario, they run out of cash in a couple of months and they go under. That's basically the worst case. Or that they get charged by the Department of Justice, which might precipitate uh, basically a spiraling down of the company's activity. So those are uh, the pluses and those are the minuses.
All right. Uh, Elon probably sitting there uh, looking for some kind of investor to sink uh, maybe uh, 2.4 to $5 billion into the company to try and make it a success. Uh, Anton, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Jan. Thank you, John Vincent from US News and World Report. Uh, you can always go there to read all John's articles and now find out about their new insurance uh, whole setup that they have at the website. And you can follow us at ourautoexpert.com. We're here 24-7. You can listen to all the previous shows or follow us on all of the social media and of course you'll find us right here next week same time same place